Wow, what a, a joy it is to see people here. Praise God. <laughs> um, I know that it's, it's kind of hard uh, seeing uh, just your eyes. Um, I want to see your big smiles, um, but I know that day will come. For now, what we're doing is we're uh, taking advantage of just being able to be together physically. And later on, as we close today, Anthony and the drums is going to do a drum solo just so you can feel uh, the bass, huh? Don't you think that would be cool? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That's one thing that for the most part you can't feel uh, when you're watching online, uh, the live music. But um, a lot going on, a lot to pray about. Uh, you guys know uh, the things that are happening huh, in the world today. Uh, just uh, I was thinking about that passage in the book of Galatians, how it says uh, there's no distinction, there's no spiritual advantage, rich, poor, male or female, a Jew or Gentile. Um, in God's eyes, as far as race goes, uh, there is no distinction. He loves every color every person the same and the turmoil that our country is going through right now is because they don't have that love and uh, the reaction is frustration you know and so uh, the 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 Bible says in the book of Matthew 24 Luke 21 Mark 13 it says that in the last days uh, signs will be nation against nation now the Greek word is ethnos and so what that's talking about is an, an ethnic tension, a racial tension. And we even see that in the world today. It's not uh, country against country. It's race oftentimes against race. And we see that sign. We, we see the frustration. We see even the things that, you know, the, the launch uh, recently as we have a couple of astronauts going to our the International Space Station. You know, the Bible talks about in the last days in the book of Daniel how there, there'd be an increase in technology and even traveling. And so um, that, along with the pandemic, the pestilence, um, I would be wrong in not sharing with you that we are living in some days in which we need to always be ready for the return of the Lord. You know, I'm here and I'm praying this morning and I'm thinking, Lord, you can come right now. There is so much going on in the world and in, in, in the global economy, the global network that we see forming right in front of our eyes. And so I pray that we're ready for that. And there's a lot to pray for. Um, we want to pray uh, today for that. We also want to pray for um, Bob and Donna Young. Uh, some of you know uh, Bob and Donna. Um, they, they serve in the children's ministry and other places Donna, uh, such a beautiful person. Um, you should see her there, how faithful she is with the children and how much the children love her as a teacher. But um, she's been battling cancer, and uh, recently the cancer uh, returned. We're not sure on all the details of that. And so we want to lift uh, her up in prayer. If you can write her name down, maybe you can uh, pray for Donna. Also, I was thinking we, it would be appropriate, it would be good for us to pray for Maureen Schaefer. Now, some of you know Maureen. Uh, she has spoken here with the ladies, just a, a really gifted, beautiful sister in the Lord. Uh, I saw a video uh, the other day, and just, it just broke my heart. You know, she's going through it. Um, you know, and of course, we know God can heal her, 
But from all um, we, we can see, it looks like God might be taking her home, which is really a glorious thing, but it's a, a difficult thing. And so pray for her also. Pray that the pain wouldn't be bad. Pray that you know God would have his hand upon her and the, and the family, Maureen is a wife of a pastor, a Calvary Chapel, First Love. Uh, John is her husband. And so I want to pray for them. I also want to pray for a couple of the guys. Of course, we're praying for all those in the front lines in, in different ways. Right now, we have health care workers. We have grocery workers. We have a lot of people out there uh, putting themselves in harm's way every day. We also have our police officers and our firefighters that are out there in all this uh, turmoil and frustration and uh, a couple of the guys uh, attend our church. One of the brothers, Lewis, he's part of LAPD. And I think there's another brother, uh, Fabian. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, they're out there, you know, as we speak. And so I thought it would be uh, good uh, to pray uh, for them. And so let's uh, go before the Lord again. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for allowing us to pray god we know that prayer changes things prayer moves the hand that moves the world because we are acknowledging you we're acknowledging lord that you can heal lord that you can give peace lord that you can uh, ease the pain god i pray that you would heal donna that you'd have your hand upon her and bob and the family father god we even pray for maureen lord i know in our eyes you might think you know what well, she's probably going home and if that's your will we praise you for that lord but we know you can heal her and so we would ask that you would even do that on this side of time father be with the family lord be with uh, those that are struggling physically lord many within the the the, the, the ears, Lord, they hear our, our prayers. I, I pray, Father, for uh, Lewis. I pray for Fabian. I pray for all those, Lord, in the armed forces, in the police department, Lord, in the National Guard, Lord, in the fire department, Lord, that are dealing with these things. And I pray, Lord, our, our country would know that we need Jesus, that people would come to you, and that you would bring order and stability, Father God. Uh, we just thank you that we can gather together as a church today and study your word. And so, Lord, as we do that, I, I pray, Father, that you would teach us and that you would bless your people, Father. And those that are here, thank you for them, Lord. Thank you so much. Keep them safe, Lord. And those watching uh, over the live stream, we pray that you would minister to their hearts as we seek you with all our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One last thing before I forget. Um, Henry had mentioned the fact that as we're, um, you know, we're, we're having services, we're kind of having a soft opening. We didn't like blast it. You know, we didn't really say, hey, everybody come. We're, we're not really there yet. But um, as we do this, our hearts are basically so that this, if anyone here has the, the virus, that it wouldn't spread in Calvary Chapel Almani. We can't stop that from happening somewhere else, but the last thing in the world we would want is for it to spread here. And so that's why we're asking you to, you know, maintain that physical distance. And I know it's difficult. I know it is because especially me, I like to hug people, but um, we, we are really asking that you would cooperate with that. And, and Lord willing, we'll see how it works out. You know, uh, we have to sign up for service. 
So next week, we might add another service because this week, both services got filled up, filled up. But here's the thing. When you sign up, if you would, there's a little section right there that says uh, I, I, you can serve. And so if you want to serve next week as an usher, real not difficult things, but maybe uh, you'd like to serve because we would need help if we were to add a third service. And so when you sign up, you'll see that option there, especially for those of you who are already involved in ministry. And if you want to serve, just let us know when you sign up, okay? If not, it's okay. We understand. We still love you, sort of. And so don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> so today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Praise God. You know, our responsibility as a church is just to give you the word. And I thank God that even over all this time, we've been able to study the Bible together. And today we're going to see in verses 1 through 4, Christian giving. In verses 5 through 7, Christian planning. And then in verses 8 through 9, Christian fighting. Notice what we read here, 1 Corinthians 16 in verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So Paul now writes concerning the collection for the saints. Uh, apparently it was something that they had agreed to do. Although he uses the word orders there in verse 1, and uh, so you must in verse 1, it, it wasn't enforced. It was something that they had uh, had in their hearts that they agreed to do to give to the poor and so what Paul is now doing is kind of organizing everything. He's giving structure to what they had agreed to do. And so he asked the Corinthians here, hey, can you guys do the same thing that the Galatian churches are doing? Now the Galatian churches were those uh, up in the northern area of modern-day Turkey. They were probably the churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey. And so he says, this is what they're doing. Can you guys do the same thing? On the first day of the week, which would be a Sunday, put aside a portion, a donation for the poor. For the poor stricken Christians in Jerusalem. Now, this was something that the early church did. And I have a hunch for those of us here, you know, we kind of live in a selfish society. For us, if we make more money... What we usually have the tendency to do is when we get more, we raise our standards of living rather than our standards of giving. We have caught into the, 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 the lie of society that we indulge ourselves. And, and one of the things we're forgetting, and I think we just need to be reminded, is the whole heart of Christian giving. The early church, when they got saved, man, that was one of the first things they did, is they started giving to those who needed. Uh, we read, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says, And they, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Imagine that, selling everything you have and then just distributing it. Now, it wasn't mandated, but that was their heart. It probably wasn't the right thing to do. 
But again, it shows the fact that they were concerned with the poor. We see also in Acts 4, verse 34, it says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Imagine that. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And so they were very giving. And here, I think, in one sense, they were too giving in the beginning. But they had that heart. Paul developed that ministry with that same heart that not only preached the gospel and planted churches, but had a ministry heavily involved in giving to the poor. It probably all started back in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 11. I was wondering if you could turn there real quick to Acts chapter 11. And notice what we read in verse 27. It says, And in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, notice, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so here's this guy Agabus in Antioch of Syria. He's a prophet. He is revealed to him as a prophecy or it's a word of knowledge that there's going to be a famine in the world, a crazy famine. And so after the word of knowledge, there's a word of wisdom. What we need to do is we need to have a donation. Let's take a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they send that money, they send that assistance to Jerusalem at the hands of Paul, that he's called Saul here, but that's Paul and Barnabas. And they go and they give the gift. And that's probably how this whole thing began. You know, he wrote about this in Romans chapter 15, 25 through 26, how he said he's going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints because it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. And so basically what we're seeing, you guys, is that the works of benevolence became a pattern for his life. And wouldn't it be cool, you guys, if we caught that vision, if we became a benevolent uh, body of Christ? I think in one sense, people are waiting. They need to be reminded of it. And Paul here was leading in that. He had a heart uh, for this from the very beginning. And there, there was even a consensus for this from the church. When you read the book of Galatians chapter 2, uh, Paul went to Jerusalem to talk to the leadership there to see if they were okay with him doing ministry to the Gentiles. And they said, sure, no problem. You do ministry to the Gentiles. He said, they said, we'll take care of the Jews there in Jerusalem. But this was their condition. Watch what we read in Galatians 2 verse 10. It says, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. You see, I think for us, it kind of goes down on the scale of importance in our life, and it's so cool to read the Bible and remember how important this is. You know, what we find is that Christians should be people who are willing to be giving to the poor. 
Again, not irresponsibly, not disobediently, not giving money to freeloaders, not giving to those who won't work, but giving to those who can't work, or to those who do work, but they still can't make ends meet. What we find is that even though sometimes people are good stewards of their finances, they still need that assistance. And so every Christian should have a benevolent heart and every church should have a benevolent fund. And so when there's a legitimate need, the funds are there to do what we can to meet those needs. And at the end of the day, and we saw it when the church first started, that the church should be the leaders in philanthropy. Now, philanthropy it literally means the lover of men. And now it's kind of that connotation where we help those who are less fortunate. And what we're seeing here is that was Paul's heart. Now, isn't it interesting that even Jesus, who was at the end of the day poor financially, had a money box from which they would give to the poor. The Bible says in John chapter 13 in verse 29. You know, to me, it's interesting. To me, it's also inspiring. And what we find is that Christians who have allowed Christ to dwell in their hearts, to rule in their hearts, will have a heart to give. You know, I personally believe, especially living in the United States of America, that we are bombarded with advertisements. We are bombarded with things. They convinced us, they've sold us that we need this. When at the end of the day, we don't really need that. Maybe we can get by with something a little bit less expensive or a little bit less in order that we might be obedient in this whole life of giving to those who are less fortunate. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 20, verse 35, it's quoted. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen, if we're here and we're not giving to anyone, we're not giving to the poor, you check your hearts, you check your checkbook, and that has not been happening in your life, then we have to really examine ourselves. Now, First John chapter 3, and verse 17 and 18, it says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, I'm in the personal conviction, persuasion, that when the Bible talks about tithes and offerings, it talks about, you know, yeah, giving to the church because they're feeding you, and there's a thing that we have a responsibility there, but then the offerings are, then we go searching for the poor. And don't you, you won't have a hard time finding them if you really want to, because Jesus said, You will always have the poor with you. You know, one of the bl- beautiful things about this church that I think to me, oh Lord, thank you for the honor and the privilege that we have, is being able to help out an orphanage in Cambodia. How God has laid it on, on hearts of people in this church to give to the poor through the church. When I go to Cambodia and I see them eating rice, and a little bit of veggies, and oftentimes not having any meat, I say, Lord, there is a legitimate need. Thank you that we can be a part of that. Sometimes we'll get a check, and someone will mail it to us, or they'll give it to us, and they'll say, here's some extra money so that you can give to someone in need. And sometimes there'll be a utility bill or whatever, things, uh, food that sometimes we can give as a church. But this right here is a reminder to us how important it is. 
You know, here we see in verses 2 through 4 that Paul asked uh, the collection be done by the time he arrived. And then he said, whomever they approved with their letters, in other words, in writing, Paul would send to bear the gift to Jerusalem. And so they would have a team of people to make sure the full amount arrived. There's no messing around with the money. And it wasn't just uh, one man. It wasn't Paul's team. It was people that they approved. And they said, even if, Paul, you want to go, we would like you to go. And Paul said, I'm willing. All that to say that when it comes to money, there needs to be that accountability. Now, one last thing before we leave this section. Uh, I thought it was interesting how it was to be done on the first day of the week, which brings up a quick side note that there was the first day of the week. That was when the early church met. According to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we see it mentioned there. And history tells us that the tradition began in recognition of the resurrection. You know, some people will say, well, no, it has to be on Saturday. And, you know, basically what we found is that the Christians replaced that Saturday Sabbath with a Sunday time of assembling. And every Sunday we come together. It's because of the fact that he rose on a Sunday. So every day is important. Uh, Every day is the Lord's day. But the church gets together on Sundays. It belongs to the Lord. I like what Kanye West said. He said, they say the week starts on Monday, but the strong start on Sunday. I always like that when I hear that as I'm working out to, to the music there. So here we are. You guys are on Sundays. Hey, this is the Lord's day, man. I'm going to church service. The first day of the week. That's when he rose. So praise God for that. So we learn a little about Christian giving. Secondly, we learn about Christian planning. Notice what we hear in verse 5. Paul says, And I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. And so this is an interesting section. You might read it and just say, what's the big deal about that? Well, I don't know. When I read it, I was like, wow, it's kind of cool how Paul made plans. That Paul had goals. You know, he wanted to preach the gospel one day in Rome, and and he did. He even had the heart to spread the scriptures in Spain, according to Romans 15, 24, and 28. And so he made plans. He penned plans. That's part of the homework I'm going to give you guys today is write down your plans. Write down your goals. And we should too. We should do so prudently and prayerfully. Because it's been said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Do you have any goals written down? Do you have any plans written out? You know, when you learn these things about Christian giving, it's really practical. It can change your life. If you learn this stuff about Christian planning, it will impact your future. Because you're going to plan. You're going to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then we see, as Paul was making his plans, Paul was flexible at the same time. You know, the reason I I say that is because it's interesting how it didn't turn out the way Paul hoped that it would. Look again there in verse 5. I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, 
for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be, I like that, it may be that I will remain or spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not wish to see you now on the way. In other words, he says, I don't want to make a quick pit stop, just eat and leave, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. And so that was his plan. That was his goal. Uh, He was writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus. And it was early spring of A.D. 57. We're going to see in verse 8 that he wanted to leave later that spring, a little closer to summer. Interesting, today is the day of Pentecost. That's what he's saying. I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And so late spring, close to summer. He says, and then I want to go to Corinth and I want to spend the winter with you. But when you put it all together, what you find is it didn't turn out that way. We believe that when Paul was in Ephesus for three years, he actually made a quick quick trip to Corinth. He came right back, right away, because there was things going on there. And then he wrote a letter. Uh, It was a corrective letter. It was a severe letter. And then after that, he wrote 2 Corinthians. And then it wasn't until a year later that he was able to go to Corinth and spend the winter there, three months, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 3. And so the the thing that I gleaned from that, and when you put it all together, the book of Acts, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, when you put the chronology all together, I love the study of the life of Paul. You'll find that he planned, but he was also flexible in those plans. And we need both of those qualities if we're ever going to be effective in ministry. So while he planned, the thing about it is the Corinthians said, oh, look at this guy, man, he's just changing his plans. They accused him of being flaky. They accused him of being a man unable to make up his mind. They accused him of being wishy-washy, and he didn't keep his word. You read 2 Corinthians, and he talks all about that. But the truth is, Paul discovered that there were things going on in Corinth that needed to be dealt with before he would be able to stay for any lengthy period of time. And so, uh, praise God, when you read it all, it worked out for the glory of God. Why? Because Paul didn't insist on his will in his time. He wasn't set in his ways. He was flexible, willing to wait on God. And it meant that he had to change his plans and go against the flow. And so here's the thing, you guys. Planning is is good. And I pray that you would make those plans. Put them down on paper. But as you do prayerfully, remember, sometimes God has a change of plans. Some of you guys know Dennis, huh? I haven't seen him in a while, but I remember one time Dennis told me, Hey, Manny, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. I thought that was funny. (laughs) You know, and it's okay to have plans. Like I said, I, I think sometimes we fail because we don't plan. We should put things on paper. But what we find is that we have to be flexible at the same time. You know, in my life, I've always tried to be fluid. I've always tried to follow the Lord. You know, and sometimes I I make plans, and I don't know if it's right. Uh, In all honesty, I remember a long time ago, um, I was uh, sensing a call for my wife and I to go to Chicago. And so, you know, we wanted to do ministry in, of all places, in Chicago. 
And so uh, she was fighting it, though. She was resisting me. I'm all, come on, woman, let's go. You know, let's go follow the Lord. Let's go serve the Lord in Chicago. And she said no. And I even told her, look at Chicago. Look at the word. It's chica, go. Chica, go. I, I, you know how you get these weird ways of confirming things, right? And so anyways, I went to Chicago. And um, I don't know if it was anything necessarily about the city, although it was cold and windy, uh, that wasn't the, the, the main reason, though. The Lord just showed me, no, don't go to Chicago. And I thank God that I didn't. Because if I did go to Chicago, I wouldn't have been here in Almani. And I know that's his part. This is God's plan. And so all I'm saying is that you make those plans. Or we're going to see later, you can knock on doors. But always be flexible to how the Lord will lead you. Does it mean that we're in the flesh when we're making plans that don't come to pass? Well, maybe, but not necessarily. It's all part of doing our best to discern the will of God every day, every step of the way in, in life. And sometimes we get rerouted. I mean, it happened to Paul the Apostle. Think about that. Even an Apostle, Wiersbe said, even an Apostle who went to heaven and came back occasionally had to revise his plans. And so um, I, I pray you guys would know the balance there. As we're learning lessons on giving, that's life-changing. What will you do with God's money? As you learn the lessons on planning, I pray that you would pen things down and make plans, but do so flexibly. And then the last thing we learn today is we learn lessons on Christian fighting. Does that sound exciting to you? Look at verse 8. It says, But I, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now again, Paul wanted to go to Corinth, but he planned to stay put until Pentecost. And the reason he gives for stalling and staying in Ephesus, which, by the way, he was there for three years. It's the longest he ever stayed anywhere. But the reason he said it was because there was a great and effective door had been opened to him and there were many adversaries. You know, there were many opposing him. You know, there were many fighting, many resisting. You know, and if you fight, it's fatiguing. You guys know, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight or a wrestling match, it's tiring. But Paul, he did not back down from that fight. He did not run away in fear or fatigue so that at the end of his life he could honestly say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. You know, let's keep in mind and heart that the Christian life is a fight. It's a fight and oftentimes I don't think many people are fighting the way they should. Paul here was right in the thick of things. Paul here was there in the front lines. You know, it doesn't take long for fatigue to set in when you're fighting or fear can sometimes kick in. And what ends up happening a lot of times in the Christian life is people split, they quit, they go AWOL. But we got to know that we're soldiers and we're in a war. We can't back down. We can never run away because 
at the end of the day, I'll tell you what, yeah, things get tough and things get crazy and things get discombobulated, but it's because oftentimes you're doing the right thing. It's actually a sign that you're on the right track, that you're going through all the trials that you're going through. You know, the Bible talks about how sometimes the, the seed, it falls on this ground and, you know, this guy is doing really good, but then the sun goes, comes up and there's trials and tribulations and the person fades off. Paul here knows, says, I'm not going to fade, I- I'm going to fight. What others would see as a reason to leave, Paul saw as a reason to stay. It, it was a factor, I believe, personally, And it was also a factor, I believe, congregationally. I can't leave the church right now. I mean, there are many adversaries that are going to fight this church. They're going to try to take it down. I'm not going to leave right now. I need to stay here for a season. You know, there there was a fight. If you go back to chapter 15, remember what we read in verse 32? Notice what he said, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts... At Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? And some say, well, that's literal, but most commentators believe that that's a figurative thing, that he, and I'll bet you almost anything that Paul fought the devil himself, because this is Paul. Now, of course, it wasn't Paul fighting the devil. It was the Lord fighting the devil for Paul. But there is this wrestling match we're in, according to Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spirits. These uh, crazy, you know, demons that we're fighting against. And there is a fight. It's not easy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he said that when I was there, I wanted to die. I despaired of life. But he didn't quit. When you read uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul says, There are many enemies of the cross, but we fight because that's what Christians are called to do. We fight, Nehemiah 4.14 says, for our families. We fight for our wives. We fight for our children. We fight for our church. And Paul here in this place, he said, This is something that I'm involved in. I'm going to stay here because there's a great and effective door that's been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You know, God had opened a great and effective door for him, a door here in this context, descriptive of ministry opportunities. If you want to write down 2 Corinthians 2.12 or Colossians 4, verse 3, those are other references that speaks of ministry doors. And God is the one who opens the doors, according to Revelation 3, 7 through 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, it's such an insightful passage. According to this passage, God is the one who opens doors. And if God is the one who opens doors, then no one will be able to shut those doors. There's no need to worry or be upset. You know, I was thinking about the Supreme Court. You know, they can't shut the doors. They're not the Supreme Court. 
And a lot of people start honing in on the governor. And listen, he might rule, but God overrules. We don't have to be afraid. We will not be silent. That I know for a fact. Because God opens doors that no man can ever shut. And that's the truth that we live in. At the end of the day, the Lord told the church in Philadelphia, because you have a little strength, which means you're depending on me, and because you've kept my word, the Bible, and have not denied my name, the name of all names, the Lord Jesus Christ, then I have set before you an open door, and there ain't no one who can shut it. You see, God is the one who opens the doors, and Paul calls it a great door, because it's a great work, like Nehemiah 6.3 says, and it's a great work because we're serving a great God. That's why. And so we're you know, going to keep at it. Paul here says, I, I'm in Ephesus and God is doing a great work. And it's so cool. You guys, when you see the work that God did in Ephesus, it started when Paul arrived in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, there were seven disciples of John the Baptist. And that means there were seven guys who weren't even saved. But Paul evangelized them right there on the spot. And those seven guys got saved. They got baptized. They got filled with the Spirit. And then Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue for three months. When he got kicked out of the synagogue, it didn't stop him. He opened up a school in the school of Tyrannus. And he taught the word for two straight years. So that the Bible says that everyone who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. What a great work God did there. It was such a great work that all the people in Ephesus came. They brought their satanic books and they burned them. The Bible talks about how it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, which today would be the equivalent of several million dollars. And they took them and they burnt them. I remember when I got saved, I took all my devil music and I uh, threw it away. Hundreds, probably thousands of dollars because I listened to the lyrics. And if those lyrics are not acceptable to Jesus' ears, then they're not acceptable to mine either. But anyways, it's so cool the work that the Lord did. It was so radical that the businesses of Ephesus were impacted. The idolatry economy just went down and so everybody came against Paul, and there was this big riot, and you read about it in Acts chapter 19. It seems like wherever Paul went, there was, either, there was both a revival and a riot, huh? And isn't that, you guys, what we want? You know, it's not going to happen if you're there and you're just kind of watching, you're not fighting. You know, you're a Christian, but you're not really engaged in battle. You're not knocking on doors. You're not checking the locks. You're not going through doors, the doors that God himself will open for you. Listen, we got to go through these doors. All of us here will have different opportunities for ministries. And I pray that we would learn from Paul how he was willing to fight the good fight. He never forgot that he was a soldier with souls at stake. And so... In closing, I wanted to take you to Luke 11. And notice what we read here in verse 9. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. To me, this is such an important passage. Jesus is saying you need to keep on asking. You need to keep on seeking. You need to keep on knocking. That's what it says in the Greek language. Keep on asking for the Holy Spirit. Because later on he talks about if you ask for the Holy Spirit, your Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Keep on asking for the Holy Spirit. Keep on asking for the fire. Keep on asking for the zeal. Keep on asking for the passion. Keep on asking because he will give you the Holy Spirit if you really want the Holy Spirit. It's a life-changing experience. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on seeking. Keep on seeking what? Keep on seeking God. What are you really looking for? You're looking for the face of God. Keep on seeking. Keep on reading your Bible like that. Keep on living your life like that. Keep on seeking God. And then keep on knocking. You keep on knocking. You keep on knocking. Lord, open doors. Use my life. There are people out there who are dying and on their way to hell. Lord, they have no hope. They maybe have never heard the gospel. They don't really know the power of the name of Jesus. So you keep on knocking for what? For those doors to be opened by God. And he will give anyone. Don't think you have to be a special person. Don't think you have to be a perfect person. Don't think you have to be someone who knows your Bible inside and out. I do encourage you, know your Bible as much as you can. But he is willing to use anyone who says, here am I, send me anyone who's willing to say, Lord, use my life. He can use the jawbone of a donkey. He can use a donkey. He can use anyone. But you guys, we have to keep on knocking on those doors. And as God opens doors, who knows, maybe it'll be a great and effective door that will be something that will change the world and bring people to Jesus. You know, the whole concept of asking is so important. I think in one sense, that's kind of how we got saved. You know, a couple of weeks, we're getting ready to have my dad's funeral service. But I remember um, the day that um, I found out that my dad passed away. It was uh, May 14th, and I got the call. And... uh, as soon as I got the call, it was early in the morning. I said, I have to read my Bible. You know, this is what I do. Lord, and I pray that you would speak to me. And as I read my Bible, uh, the, the, where I was at in my devotional reading was Psalm uh, chapter 21. And the whole psalm is a beautiful psalm. But in verse 4, it just jumped out off me off the pages. And this is what the Lord told me about my dad. It says in Psalm 21, verse 4, He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. All you here who are saved, I mean, I know there's not a pattern, but you realize Jesus died for you. You realize he rose again. And somewhere in that, somehow in your heart, you asked life from him, and he gave it to you. And if you're out there, if someone is here, maybe you haven't done that yet, that's all 
you have to do. That's all you have to say. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need life. And as you do, it's so cool. He gives you that life forever and ever. You know, if you're not a Christian, I pray that you would become one today. I pray that, uh, you know, a lot of this is going on. I, I wish I could just sit down with every single person here and just say, what have you learned through this coronavirus craziness? What have you guys learned? And I would be so interested into hearing what the Lord has shown you and just how we're coming out of this different and we're still processing things. But man, there's no doubt about it that this trial we went through was not in vain. But if you're not a Christian, I pray that today would be the day that you would do what Psalm 21, 4 says. He asked life from you, Lord. That person over there, Lord, they, they asked life from you. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and this whole thing, you backslid. You've, you were gone. You haven't really been close to the Lord. Maybe you've been warming yourself by the fires of this world. Now you have to make a decision. Will you come back to the Lord? Will you come back to your first love? We can do that today. And even in our text, as Christians, we can glean his word. Christian giving, I pray we would give generously. Christian planning, I pray we would plan, but do so flexibly. And Christian fighting, I pray we would fight, and we would fight fearlessly. You know, Christian giving, find someone to give to. Find someone to give through this week. Christian planning, put down some things on paper. Write it down and then pray about it. And then Christian fighting, I encourage you, knock on some doors of ministry. Maybe next week you'll be one of those who serve. That would be cool. And in doing so, what you're doing is you're looking for a fight. But that's okay, huh? Because at the end of the day, uh, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And the devil, we're no match for him, but he's no match for the devil. So when the devil comes knocking at our door, we just say, Jesus, can you get that? And he will. You know, my wife and I, when we go walking, we go almost every day. And so every day we go, we always, we always uh, see dogs. You know, um, most of the time they're on a leash. Um, most of the time they're behind the, the gate. And I'll be honest, though, the ones behind the gate, man, they bark, and their barks, they're pretty scary, you know? But but we know we're not afraid. We're not afraid because we know they, they're, they're locked up, man. They can't get us. And that's kind of how it is when you're a Christian. The devil's on the leash. He's behind the gate. He can't touch you. There is no reason for us not to go full in this fight for Jesus. What a blessing seeing you guys. Thank you for coming. Uh, Lord willing, you'll come again next week and we'll see what the Lord 